gracious Father, Lord, we ask that you grant us the perseverance and endurance to get through this day. Lord, we thank you that you've been with us through this track. And as we look at practical uh, stuff today, we ask for your special blessing to speak to our minds as well as our hearts as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let me get my uh, track of jig. The seminar is Standing Up, Winsome and Rational Apologetics. The word apologetics comes from the word apologia, which is, means a defense. And um, a lot of people misinterpret this to be a, a game about argument. Now, it is possible to always win the argument, but through winning the argument, you may lose the soul. Um, there is a story about a, a Christian doctor who was ministering, uh, had a patient who was a Muslim, and the Muslim lady said, you know what, I just, I, I don't think uh, my faith is, uh, can, can help me meet some of the troubles that I'm going through, especially with my, my sickness and whatnot. And uh, the, the, the Christian doctor had overheard a nurse who said, oh, it's, that's because you're a Muslim. That's because uh, the Muslim religion is incompetent. You guys believe in a God that's this, and da 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 And uh, Christianity is far superior to help you with some of these things. And uh, did she win the argument? Yeah, she, she won the argument for sure. But what happened to the lady? I mean, she's, she doesn't have a very good taste in her mouth as a result. Um, so it's not about winning the argument. Winning may result in losing the soul. But apologetics helps stop wrong ideologies from being spread to other individuals. And a lot of people say, you know, apologetics, it's all mind stuff. I don't want to get into that. It's too confusing. Uh, it's not for everybody. Some people have an emotional barrier to Jesus. What kind of barrier? So some people have to, you have to sit down with them and actually have to organize and, and, and talk through the emotions and remove the emotional barrier and help them see Jesus as a result. Yes? There's others who have a physical barrier to Jesus. Either they have an ailment or a sickness or whatnot. Then we need physicians or doctors or healthcare professionals to come, and they need to remove the physical barrier and introduce Jesus to them. But there's others who have uh, ideological barriers to Jesus. They just don't, like, what, Jesus was resurrected? Like, how can that be? It's not because they have no faith. It's not because they are dumb. It's not because they're not spiritual. They just have sometimes uh, a barrier up here. Yeah? Then you need people to kind of organize and like, well, it's because of this and da 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 And you can see there's evidence of this and da 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 And then there's da-da-da-da. Oh, okay. And then boom. And you introduce Jesus. And it also is a, is a wonderful uh, uh, defensive mechanism. Not defensive mechanism. A, a defensive strategy in that sense. Is it for everybody? It's not. Uh, it helps Christians understand the faith, developing confidence, courage, security, and initiative. And uh, Christianity is an intellectual religion. Amen, friends? We have an intellectual basis for what we believe. I, I get, I get, I get, uh, uh, I cringe when people say, it's all about faith. You just have to have more faith. Like, oh, you don't believe? Well, just have more faith. That, that doesn't mean a lot to people who are struggling. Okay, well, I just got to have more faith. What does that mean? It means a little bit more practical stuff uh, that they need. Let's go to 15 strategies here. Uh, this lecture will look at 15 practical suggestions on how to develop our Christian witness and stand up in an ungodly world. Atheists are finding strategic ways to implement, enforce, and promulgate their ideas throughout society without being completely obvious. Theists, especially biblical theists as Adventists, must do the same by impacting society and culture and every field and discipline out there. 
And uh, I uh, went and ministered to campus university students. And we're trying to get university students to major in whatever field and to do the very best in that field and to impact society. Impact what, everybody? Society. Impact culture. We should have Adventist uh, fashion designers. Amen? We should. Where the most popular thing to wear is something designed by a Seventh-day Adventist. Which in the design, it's biblical. Not plunging and, and you know, all this stuff, but beautiful, nice, but comfortable to wear. And it's popular. Like, we should impact society that way. And when people are saying, hey, why, why, why did you design it this way? Oh, it's because the Lord Jesus values a woman's body and da 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 and beauty and da 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 And it's an opportunity to explain the gospel. Amen? We should have Adventists who are the number one field in music. Good, 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 good music. Uh, we have a PhD in, in uh, compositional music. He wrote uh, an orchestra piece based on Revelation. And it goes, on, it goes into th- uh, four parts. And the four parts are based on sevens. The seven churches is the first overture. Seven seals is the second overture. Seven trumpets is the third overture. The seven uh, plagues are the last overture. And in between, you have the three angels' message and these three notes. And so he's explaining it. It's a weird piece. It's a weird piece. But he's explaining this. And people are like, what do these three notes mean? These three notes is a theme that pops up all the time. These three notes are the three angels' messages. What are the three angels' messages? Well, let me give you a Bible study in Revelation 14. This is happening in a Ph.D. Uh, uh, dissertation committee. Like he's talking to musicians about uh, the three angels' message. Profound. Okay? So we've got to find ways to get it. It doesn't mean that we all have to be pastors. If you're a pastor, that's awesome. Uh, but we should be like uh, in and out. It has Bible verses on the bottom of their, their, their whatever. I'm not saying we should all get a hamburger joint and put, put Spirit of Prophecies on the bottom, quotes on the bottom. The Michigan Conference has a, a project where um, they're growing, I don't want to get too much into this word or digressing, but they're growing veganic vegetables. Have you guys heard of veganic? It's the next wave of, of it's the new fad. Okay, it's no longer organic, but it's veganic. You're giving the, 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 the plants vegan fertilizer. What you're ha- what's happening is you're getting 15 times the nutritional density. You're getting more fruit and longer. And what's happening is um, the, the upper class, super upper class restaurants are re- requesting veganic vegetables because they taste better, they're crispier, they're just more, more nutritious. And what these guys are doing is like they're putting spirit of prophecy quotes on the box. Not annoyingly, but in a nice way, aesthetically. And I'm just like, I'm proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Like, yep, that's, they're, they're selling it at Whole Foods in Michigan. You guys know Whole Foods? Yeah, Whole, Whole Foods should be run by Adventists. Amen? But instead, we've got this little, dinky little, like, you know, lemon, lemonade shack, lemonade stand, and like, you know, Adventist, you know, health message. That's not, that's not, that's not good. Okay? Anyway, we need to impact society. Number one, how do we impact society? Number one, we should read the what? Okay, read the scriptures. I know this is elementary, but this, this goes without saying. Um, this is an Ellen quote found in, I don't know where this is found. CT 543. That's counsels to teachers. She gives a list here. Okay, Bible reading. What's number two? Critical examination of Bible subjects. Number three. Essays written upon topics which will improve the mind and impart knowledge. Four, study the what? 
Number five, the precious lessons of who? Christ. These will have an influence to strengthen the what? Mental powers and increase what? Spirituality. So spirituality is not sitting in a in a in Indian style on top of a rock and humming in, turn, in, in front of the sky. Okay, that will do nothing for your spirituality. That will just make you look weird. Okay, to increase spirituality is number one: read scripture. Yes, and I know that's so um, elementary, but it's so fundamental at the same time. But don't just read it, but a, a critical examination of Bible subjects. Get into Bible issues. Look at, look at both sides of whatever, whatever the, 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 the issues are on, a variety of Bible subjects. Three, read essays. All of us here should have a subscription to Adventist Review Magazine. Okay, I'm not being paid by them. But I think the Adventist Review is the, the only means in the Adventist Church where we have uh, to communicate with each other. Okay? Some articles are awesome. Some articles are not awesome. Okay? But we need to help contribute to the Advent Review and start a dialogue and get our community more deeply grounded in Scripture. Study of the prophecies. We should all know Daniel and Revelation like the back of our hands. Everyone should know 2, uh, 7, 8, and 9. 11, yeah, you know, we could talk about 11, but according to Revelation, you should understand the sanctuary in the book of Revelation. And then precious lessons of Christ. Christ object lessons. Every time there is a red letter in your Bible, that is just a little bit more special. Because the Lord Jesus said it. Just a little bit more special. I know all the Bible is inspired. But Jesus' words have a little bit more deep an impact. And they strengthen the mental powers and increase spirituality. Number two, the secret. This is awesome. Skepticism can have no power over a soul that with what? Humility searches the what? Scriptures. Humility, uh, scriptural intentions, scriptures, intent, intellectual content. I don't know what that means. Oh, the humility is when you when you when you approach scripture with with a certain attitude. Okay, uh, I think it, I don't know if it'll come up later on, but there's another quote that Ellen White writes that if if you do not, uh, there's one one time where she says, "Do not study the scriptures." Isn't this amazing? She says, "Never study the scripture without praying beforehand." If you're not going to pray, then don't study it. Because she says the more you study it, it will deepen your doubt of the scriptures. And at first I'm like, what? No. But then the more you think, well, yeah. Are there a lot of secular people out there who read the Bible? Yeah. Don't they become more uh, vitriolic against scripture as a result? Yeah. But praying is saying, Lord, are you humble yourself? Like, Lord, I don't understand it. But I want to understand it. But if, Lord, if you want me to understand it, I'll understand. But if you don't, that's okay. I'll wait 14 years until you reveal this to me as well. And you're, you're humble about it. Finding this balance is a secret. Having only humility results in no progression with truth. Socrates was also humble. Post-modernity, their whole thing is about being humble towards truth. Having only scriptural knowledge results in spiritual what? Pride and? Intellectualism. This is what modernity is. They're very proud because they know everything. Um, Postmoderns, even though they're weird, the one thing that you have to um, give them credit for is they're humble. They're, they're humble. They're so humble they say no one has truth, and that's where they take it a little bit too much. But. Okay, number three, prayer for the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is, this is, the, uh, this is the quote that I was talking about. Um, Without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we shall continually lie, lie, be continually liable to rest the scriptures or to what? Misinterpret them. 
There is much reading of the Bible that is without profit, and in many cases is a what? Positive injury. Crazy. When the Word of God is open without reverence and without prayer, when the thoughts and affections are not fixed upon God or in harmony with His will, the mind is clouded with doubt, and in the very study of the Bible, what strengthens? Skeptics. In the very study of Scripture, your skepticism gets stronger and stronger and stronger. The enemy takes control of the thoughts, and he suggests interpretations that are not correct. 5 Testimonies 7.04. Okay? Keep the Sabbath. Had the Sabbath been universally kept, men's thoughts and affections would have been led to the Creator as the object of reverence and worship, and there would have never have been an idolater, a what? An atheist or a... Okay. So these, all, these, uh, all these worldviews we have, if we had kept the Sabbath properly, one column would have never existed. Pretty crazy. So when we're keeping the Sabbath, it's not just, okay, we're seven hours, let's keep the Sabbath. We're actually going against society and making a statement to change it. Amen? Five, the best argument. The life, the words, and the deportment. What is deportment? The way you present yourself. Are the most forcible argument the most solemn appeal to the careless, irreverent, and skeptical. Let the life and character be the strong argument for Christianity. Then men will be compelled to take knowledge of you that you have been with Jesus and have learned of him. What are these three things? One, life. Two, words. Three is the way you carry yourself. Okay. Does she say that it's about some kind of the cosmological uh, argument? Does she talk about ventilating presuppositional uh, apologetics? No, she doesn't talk about these things. It's just the way who you are. Amen? The most powerful argument. That actually helped me a lot. And the context is for medical students who are enter public universities. Um, Ellen actually talks about campus ministries in uh, Select Messages, Volume 3. Ben, be winsome. Smile. Sometimes. Okay? If you're smiling all the time, it scares people. Okay? Just smile once in a while. Uh, I don't like to smile, but I heard when I smile, it, it, it lowers people's defense mechanisms. Uh, but if you're smiling all the time, the defense mechanisms go back up. <laughs> Why is he smiling all the time? Okay? Listen intently. John 3 and 4. Jesus had the wonderful ability to, to listen to people. And what he would do, he'd, he'd pick out threads, what's behind the words, through the words that he's listening. Okay? Listening is uh, the number one skill of, of leadership. You read a lot of leadership books. Listening is the ability to invest in people. A lot of people just want to be heard. Watch your tone. Uh, ladies have a very, very, um, are very sensitive to tone. Men are not sensitive to tone. This is, this is it's proven by gender studies that... Uh, how you say something changes the meaning of it. You know, you say, "Hey, go, go, uh, go, go, clean your room." It's kind of like a suggestion. Hey, go clean your room. It's almost like it's a musical tone. Go clean your room. If you do it without need to go clean your room, it's 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 monotone. It's almost threatening, right? No emotions. You can impose your own emotional content into that statement. If you increase the volume, go clean your room. It's a little bit more serious. 
Okay? Go clean your room, and then you're, you're emphasizing different points. Men have a hard time distinguishing tone. They just process it, and they're like, go <laughs> clean your room. Just clean your room, clean your room. Ladies are like, what tone did you say that in? And they're very sensitive to how you say it. Uh, are there some men who are also in tune? Yes. Are there some women who have no clue what you're saying? Yes. But in generalities, that is the, that is the case. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. When you're, when you're talking to an atheist, and this happened to me when I was talking to you about the secular alliance came in, I was praying the entire time. They, some of them had like white faces and piercings and like black lipstick, and then they were like, I'm like praying, oh, Lord, protect me, protect me, protect me, protect me, protect me, protect me. Okay? Uh, be patient. Jesus waited for Nicodemus to come around almost for how many years? Okay? If Jesus... Well, if he's witnessing to somebody, if it takes him three years to reap him, then should we be discouraged if it takes us three years or longer? Not at all. Some people just need to take their time. Uh, do not be annoying. Uh, this is, um, I find this to be, I don't say that to be humorous. I find a lot of Seventh-day Adventists to be annoying. Uh, the, result, the, the reason is because they're so earnest. Have you ever met someone who's uh, newly into faith? And they're so excited about the truth that they received that the first person that they meet, they're like, hey, can I give you a Bible study on the mark of the beast in 1844, investigative judgment, and Jesus coming soon, and, and in Revelation, you know, da, 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 da. And what happens is, like, if they do it in a nice way, it's, it's doable. But what happens is if they don't accept, then they get angry that you rejected the truth of God. Then they get, like, violent. Now, that's, that's kind of weird by every definition of whatever. We have to teach people on how to temper their passion and to channel their energy in a proper avenue. And what happens is you can be very annoying. This is also very, very um, common amongst uh, health message people, prophecy people. Um, and what you, have, well, you have a lot of dietary competition going on, right? Yeah, you've got to be, be vegetarian. You've got ovo, ovo-lactarian, and, and ovo-lactarian. Ovo lacto vegetarian or pesca vegetarian. Oh, pesca vegetarian. No, you're not a real vegetarian. That's fish. I'm, I'm ovo lacto. No, I'm a pure vegetarian. Oh, you're a pure vegetarian. I'm a vegan. You're a vegan? Hey, I'm a raw vegan. You're a raw vegan? Well, I'm a fruitarian. You're a fruitarian? No, I'm a wat- watertarian. A watertarian? I only drink. I don't eat. I'm pure all the time. So you get into competition, okay? Um, Ellen White says, of all things, dietary changes should be gradual, and it's up to the individual. Let them do it at their own pace. If you push to someone too fast, you can actually ruin their, especially if they're going to be a watertarian, okay? <laughs> Find it in your heart to humble yourself and what? To love this person. I know that sounds fluffy and cheesy, but it's, it is true at the end of the day. Okay, we talked about theism in our last, last seminar. Use questions artfully. We talked about questions, how Jesus used questions. Maintain a humble attitude always with meekness and fear. And the fear component is at any moment, this person can lose their salvation. But at any moment, you may lose your salvation. But also with meekness that this person's salvation is not ultimately up to you either. It's ultimately up to who to to save the person. The Lord Jesus. But he's using who? You and us, all of us in the process. So it's a balance between the two. Okay? So we shouldn't uh, be witnessing just um, arrogantly or, or, or uh, carelessly, but with meekness and fear. 
questions should be asked with a proper tone. Okay? Uh, when you're talking with an atheist or, a, or agnostic or a panthe or whatever, whoever this, this is, or even like a conservative Adventist or a liberal Adventist, the questions that you ask can be like, hey, do you actually really believe that, that, that creation was not possible and you actually believe in evolution? That, that's one way of asking. Like, do you really believe in evolution? Now, the tone, the words are exactly the same, but the tone, one, one is an, is a, implies a little bit of sarcasm. And one is a little more condescending. And, and the volume can either, you've got to watch yourself. Sometimes the cultures we come from, the, the Korean culture is very, in, in many ways, blunt and straightforward. <laughs> and in some cultures that are so formal, you have a blunt culture and a formal culture coming together, and a lot of misunderstanding can happen when these, when these two cultures clash. Americans are also blunt when it comes to um, dialogue. Uh, anyway, we can go into culture studies later on. Jesus understood the art of questions. They should, they should be used to help you understand what the person is saying and also help them understand what they are saying. Okay? So you're not, you don't want to interrogate them. Where were you born? What's your name? Do you really believe that? What is it's like when they're saying, hey, I believe that God is a spiritual being that lives in trees. Oh, okay. Wait, so let me, I, so I want to understand. You're saying that, God, that you believe that God lives in trees. Like, what kind of trees? What kind of trees? Oh, like, like evergreen trees. Okay, why, why evergreen trees? <laughs> and you start the conversation there. Um, what happens is you're trying to elicit and clarify the discussion, but also you want to elicit um, to get them to think. We, we, well, let me just understand correctly. You're saying that you believe that God lives in trees. Does he, does he live in trees? Only does he live, does he live everywhere. Oh, he lives everywhere. If he lives everywhere, then why does he only live in trees? Huh. Yeah, I never thought about that before. Yeah, hey, maybe you should think about that a little more. Let's talk about this. Anyway, this is some of the dialogue. I'm using some cheesy dialogue to give an example, but you understand. Sidestep certain, certain of their questions with your questions. Jesus was always put in a situation where they try to stump him. Okay? So they said, Jesus, what will happen when the seven brothers get resurrected and they all meet their wife in heaven? Are all seven going to be married to the one woman according to the leveret law of, of marriage? And Jesus, Jesus is not like, hmm, well, I could either say Deuteronomy 31 or Numbers 2, but then he can marriage. He doesn't, he doesn't think about this because that question is irrelevant to the discussion to begin with. He says, you don't understand the scriptures. <laughs> you do err not knowing the power of God. These guys are like, what? We memorized the entire Old Testament. How are you saying we don't know the scriptures? And it starts off another dialogue. Jesus knew the art of sidestepping questions. Questions also help you to listen. Listening is powerful. Uh, we at the missionary training program, we teach our kids to, to listen. Um, I want to ask you to, 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 actually for time's sake, we won't do this. What I usually do in the seminar, I actually get into pairs and ask you to talk to each other for two minutes straight. One person talks, one person listens. You'd be shocked how many people don't know how to listen. It's very hard because we live in an ADD society, right? What happens is there's some things you can do to, to, to help you listen. One is, uh-huh, uh-huh, huh. Uh-huh means I understand. Uh-huh means continue on. Huh. I'm processing then. I find that to be interesting. Okay. Other one is to maintain eye contact. Okay. You want to maintain, maintain eye contact, but you don't want to stare the person down. <laughs> because what happens? It's like smiling for too long. Okay. You become psychotic. Okay. 
The other thing is you also want to ask clarifying questions. Wait, wait what did you say? I didn't, I didn't understand that. What do you mean he lives in a tree? What? what? And you want to clarify. What happens is you're, you're saying this to affirm the other person, but it also helps you to listen better because have you ever had it when you're talking to somebody, maybe, maybe you guys are doing it today, where you're listening to someone, but your mind thinks of other things? You start wandering. It's like, man, that guy's nose is big. Wow, I wonder what kind of conditioner he uses for his hair. Wow, he's got a big head. My mom has a big head. My mom, oh, it's my mom's birthday tomorrow. I should call her tomorrow. I wonder how my dad's doing. And you, your mind just wanders. And then in front of the whole person's like, da 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 Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, this is so boring. You're, you're in your own world, okay? That is a very selfish place to be. Amen? You want to get outside of yourself and be where that person is. Now, if the person is overtly talkative and annoying, you have to find a way. And a lot of people have a hard time doing this. So they, they're like martyrs, like, I hate being here, but I will listen to the end. You've got to find ways to get out of the conversation. And then that, that is just as legitimate. Hey, sorry, you know what? I actually have a seminar coming up. You don't want to lie, friends. Okay? I want to listen to this, but I can't right now. Can we talk later? And you, and you get out of there. Okay? Or if you don't want to talk later, you know what? I'll see you later. I, I, I got to go. Sorry. I got to take this phone call. And you have someone call you. Or, I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You, you actually you know, want to make sure it's real. <laughs> okay, so questions help you to listen. Listening is powerful. Listening is powerful. That's the whole basic point. Uh, answer prayerfully. Questions should be prayerfully answered for, for some maybe tangents. Um, don't underestimate the power of tangents. Uh, what's amazing is God speaks through tangents just as well. Okay? You don't want to just be Q, A, question, answer, question, answer. Sometimes you have a question and an answer, and you want to prayerfully answer this, but through, through your long explanation of it, you come up with a tangent, and sometimes that tangent is more valuable than your answer anyway. Okay? Um, that doesn't justify tangents, but just be careful of that. Don't be afraid to direct a dialogue. In John chapter 3, the master of the com- com- conversation was Jesus. He was in control of the conversation. Do you guys know how you control the conversation? He or she who asks the questions controls the conversation. Even though the other person may be talking more, the person who asks the questions is the one who controls the conversation. And there, Jesus is controlling the conversation very much. And it's like, a, I was telling someone this, John chapter 3 is like a, a chess game, like a boxing match. Lady says this, Jesus counteracts with this. Then Jesus asks a question, and she, come, she, she dodges the question and comes up with this jab, but Jesus avoids that jab and asks this question, and it gets her heart, and she's like, ugh, and she responds with this, and, she has, and, and it keeps on going, keeps on going, keeps on going, and she's like, I give up. And then she goes back home and tells everyone <laughs> to see Jesus. I mean, it's an awesome conversation, John chapter 3. Push wrong ideas to the ultimate conclusion. Then ask, is it logical, livable, and is this teachable? These are the three questions to ask if something is right. Uh, wait, wait, God is in a tree? You mean if I cut this tree down and this tree dies and then God is dead? Is that logical? Oh, yeah, I never thought about that. Wait, if God is in this tree, what is, how does that impact me? Like, How does that make God more, more practical and real in my life? It doesn't. We just got to get a Christmas tree in our living room. You know, you got to look at these practical element questions. Is this teachable? Can I go out in society and teach that God is in this tree? No, that kind of sounds ridiculous. Number nine, watch subtle influences. Uh, this super small font is the story about David Hume. 
Uh, this is the story that I told you guys before. It is said that Hume, the skeptic, skeptic, was in early life a conscientious believer of the Word of God. Being connected with a debating society, he was appointed to present the arguments in favor of infidelity. That's not believing in God. He studied with earnestness and perseverance, and his keen and active mind became imbued with the sophistry of skepticism. Ere long, he came to believe its delusive teachings, and his whole afterlife bore the dark impress of fidelity. Um, second guy is Voltaire. When Voltaire was five years old, he committed to memory an infidel poem, and the dangerous, pernicious influence was never effaced from his mind. He became one of Satan's most successful agents to lead men away from God. Thousands will rise up in the judgment and charge the ruin of their souls upon the infidel who? All because of a poem he memorized how old? Five years old. You've got to watch the small little influences that, are, that, that happen. Um, this is Child Guidance 196. By the thoughts and feelings cherished in the early years, every young person, every youth, is determining his own life history. Correct, virtuous, manly habits formed in youth will become a part of the character and will usually mark the course of an individual through life. The youth may become vicious and or virtuous as they choose. They may as well as be distinguished for true and noble deeds as for the great crime and wickedness. Okay? Small things totally matter. Amen? Engage society. God is the author of science. Scientific research opens to the mind vast fields of thought and information, enabling us to see God in his created works. Ignorance may try to support skepticism by appealing to science, but instead of upholding skepticism, true science contributes fresh evidences to the wisdom and power of God. Rightly understood, science and the written word agree, and each sheds light on the other. Together, they lead us to God by teaching us something of the wise and beneficent laws through which he works. We need to engage society. And when I tell uh, all of our college students is this, we need young people who are the best in the sciences. Adventists should be the number one PhDs in biology, biochemistry, chemistry, physics, uh, every, every scientific field, and promoting creation in these modes of academia. And we should not be afraid of science. Too often we give the agenda to the other side, the, the infidel side, as Ellen White calls it, and they allow to be allowed to dictate what happens in the church. And today, the whole creation evolution happening that happened last year and the year before, it's because we've been kind of hesitant and, and we're, we're, there, there's the, we've lost our courage in, 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 our, in our faith. And we're trying to appeal to the, the, the evolution guys on one side, the creation evolution on the other guys. And we come up with a happy medium, theistic evolution. Okay? We should not be afraid. You're going to see that rightly understood. Science and the Bible, what do they do? They agree. So let's, 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 be, let's, be, let's be bold and find out how that happens. 11, avoid common mistakes. Don't condemn. Um, do not condemn through look, tone, expression, or word. We, can we condemn people to look? We condemn people with a certain turn of the chin. <laughs> I don't know how that, uh, but you know, you can do it. Uh, through tone, expression, or word. A certain facial expression uh, can cause off being very, very uh, caustic. Do not claim absolute knowledge outside of the fundamentals. Offer it or propose it. Sometimes, like, you know what, this is what is true, and you better believe in him because I know what it is. 
I mean, that may be true, and, 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 and you know absolute truth, but rather than de- um, forcing it down someone, propose it. Hey, you know what? Could it be that, that maybe God isn't in the tree? Could it be that maybe God created the tree? There's, there's an image of him in the tree, but, but could it be in, in the mystery of the universe that he's actually somewhere transcendent of all of this? And it allows a little bit of more of a play. What happens is it's not a denial of faith, but if you come out so hard that this is in it, the natural reaction is to make sure that they, they, to, to react against it. But if you offer it gently, they'll be, they'll be more gently to, to take it up. Do not, deny, do not deny that you know absolute knowledge, but be firm with what you believe. Do not be afraid to think. Avoid fideism. Fideism means oh, you just have to pray more. You just have to you have, to have more faith. Okay, so pray. You, you don't understand? Just, just just pray about it. You'll you'll get it later. That's something. It's a it's a bad way of just thinking about things. Uh, if you do not know, then say you do not what. Just just be honest. Hey, you know what? I don't know if God's in the tree. I, 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 but when I'll look into it. I'll see what the Bible has to say about trees, and then I'll get back to you in two days. Do not speak Christian language to to those who are uh, non Christians. If you tell someone you got to repent, and they've never heard the word repent before. Say, hey, you got to repent. you got to repent. Do, do, you, do they know what you're talking about? Okay. Um, I talked to somebody, um, and I'm not exaggerating. Uh, this person was, uh, oh, I forgot what they had. Uh, who, Rain Man. Uh, what does he have? Auti- does he have autism? It wasn't autism. It was Asperger's syndrome. Okay. And it was Asperger's syndrome with a particular event where they took everything literally. It was high-functioning Asperger's syndrome. And I was preaching, like, look, we got to accept, we got to put Jesus in our hearts. We got to put him in our hearts, right? And so all the Christians are saying, amen, amen. And he come up and he just had this, like, horrid expression in his face. It's like, I'm just having a hard time with this. I'm like, okay, why? why? Or just Jesus in your heart. Wait, I, I've been told that I don't understand things well. Are you telling me that I need to open up my chest and have a cardiac surgeon and put Jesus in my heart? And I thought he was kidding. I'm like, dude, <laughs> no, no, no. He's like, are you serious? Some people have a hard time understanding. If you use Christian language, they don't understand. I remember when I, when I first came to church, the preacher said, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of where, Where's the Lamb of God? <laughs> behold? Look? Where? Why? What? You've got to think about it. What does that mean even? Behold the Lamb of God. It's abstract. You've got you to help define these things. Give your heart. Surrender. When you surrender, uh, there's, there's another story about a guy like, surrender, surrender. And the guy's like, okay, I surrender. I don't know what war we're in, but I surrender. I, don't want, to, I want to stop fighting. They didn't know what that meant. Um, look to Jesus. Sinfulness. Last thing is do not dummy yourself to non-Christians either. You don't want to, just, you don't want to talk down to them and, 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 and oversimplify things. Think of a strategy. Uh, one strategy is this. One, establish Christianity's historicity. Um, there's a lot of books about Jesus' resurrection, the claims. Jesus' resurrection was not some miracle that was undocumented and just some weird event in history. There are many documents, many eyewitnesses um, that we have that claim this. Um, second, after you do this, you establish the Bible's inspiration you can either use prophecy or archaeology. Uh, probably prophecy is the route that a lot of Adventists go through, Daniel chapter 2. Number three is relate these doctrines to a personal life. And number four, give your personal testimony. And you always want to go at the end with your personal testimony. 
Um, this is one route that we use at, at the university setting. Um, sometimes this route is not good, but it's depending on who you're interacting with, but this is one strategy. Five, bring them to meetings. Um, other strategies are you offer arguments for the existence of God. There are many arguments. You have the cosmological, teleological, miracles, mind, Trinitarian, moral, aesthetic experience, and Pascal's wager. Sometimes these work, sometimes these don't, but you want to offer all of them together. To connect that such a God would have to communicate using the Bible. And then three, establish the Bible's authority inspiration. Establish the historical and biblical Christ is one and the same. Relate other doctrines to the personal life. And then give ultimately and your final personal testimony. Okay? Now, if you're on a train and you meet an old grandmother, do you want to use this route? Hey, Mrs. Simpson, I just want to share with you the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument is that... <laughs> no. But if you're talking with your uh, professor of philosophy, hey, this is one way you can go. If you're talking with a graduate student in uh, postmodern anthropological philosophy, this is one way to go around. So you want to see who your audience is. And, but the main point is think of a strategy. Think of a strategy. There's nothing wrong. And prayerfully think of a strategy. Bring them to meetings at the end. Number 14, read. Okay? We need to ex ex um, expand our minds and exercise the, the what, uh, what we read. Um, this is with the assumption that you're reading the Bible in the spirit of prophecy. Okay? But other stuff, read C.S. Lewis, Peter Kraft, Francis Schaeffer. This is apologetics readings. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, William Lane Craig, J.P. Moreland, Alvin Plantinga, Norman Geisler, and then Ellen White's Great Controversy is a wonderful apologetics work. Um, this guy, Alvin Plantinga, is a Dutch guy. Before he became a philosophy professor, 100% of philosophy departments in North America were all atheistic. What percentage? 100%. If you got a degree in philosophy, you came out automatically an atheist. Well, this guy, he comes about, and he comes up with this idea. He's like, Lord, this, is, this can't be. Philosophy, there should be a way to reach these guys. And in his dissertation, he comes up with something with called proper functioning of the mind. And uh, I don't want to get too much into it, but basically he says, if you assume God exists... That is the most proper way that a mind functions. And if you don't believe in God, you have a philosophical, ideological disease of the intellect. Now, the, the, the argument is a lot more sophisticated than that, but it's just, this was like a punch directly in the face of all these philosophers. Because of this guy, and he's a brilliant dude, he's at University of Notre Dame, Today, in 2012, one-third of all the philosophy departments in North America are theistic. And they're continuing his work. Okay? Because he's using his mind and he's, he's combating the arguments. Not everyone is called to this. Amen? But we need to be familiar with the works there. Fifteen, use apologetics carefully. Again, apologetics is not used to win an argument. It's not a guarantee that all people will come to the Lord through argumentation. But some people have intellectual barriers, we talked about, just as some have emotional or physical. And warning, there are some people who are vitriolic. Vitriolic is a word that means acidic. 
Okay? And no matter how much you love them, how much you artfully argue with them, how much evidence you give them, how many lollipops you give them, how many hugs you give them, they will not and they refuse to uh, accept anything that has to do with God. And at a certain point, you have to say, Lord, case closed. This is your project. I can't do anything about this. Okay? You're not being hopeless on the person. You're, you're putting hope in God, rather. Um, you can address other, uh, sometimes the other, they address other issues. You have debaters and you have devil's rabbits. Sometimes when you're witnessing to someone, they don't want to know more about God. When they're losing, they'll just move on to a different topic. And they'll try to win you there. And if you're not careful, you kind of follow them and you get yourself in a trap and then they win the argument and then you feel like you won the, you, you feel like you lost the entire conversation. Then you have some people who are debaters. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. They'll just debate the absolute opposite of whatever you're saying. You, know, you may be winning, you may be winning. It's like, well, hey, but how about that whole Ellen White thing? And well, what about the whole sanctuary thing? And they never actually, you never conclude anywhere. You're just moving from one thing to it's the never-ending conversation. And then you look at your watch. It's like 4 in the morning, and you're tired. You want to go home. Devil's rabbits. Um, if you guys are familiar in the coal portering world, devil's rabbits are uh, coal porters. They, they knock on the door, and then the guy opens the door, and they're interested in everything that you have, but they don't buy anything at the end. And canvassers call them devil's rabbits. They're just wasting what? Time. And these people are usually lonely. They're like, wow, someone's talking to me, and they just want to talk, 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 and they're, they don't know what they're doing. Steps of Christ, page 111. Disguise as it may, the real cause for, of doubt and skepticism in most cases is the, the what or what? Ugh, that's crazy. So a lot, of that, a lot of times they say like, hey, it's my intellectual conclusion. But this is not an intellectual conclusion. It's more they have some sin that they cherish and they're hiding and they want this to be preserved. The teachings and restrictions of God's word are not welcome to the proud, sin-loving heart. Those who are unwilling to obey its requirements are ready to doubt its authority. I think that's the last, oh, last, last conclusion here. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the what? Okay, so if, if sister is an atheist and I'm, and I'm arguing with her, I'm not fighting against her. There's something beyond her. For the weapons of our war are not carnal, but they're mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds. They cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In the great controversy in the fight, this is the war of ideas and the war of, of, of spiritual things, of knowledge. You can be very careful as we're, as we're fighting this war. That's the end of the, the, the conclusion here today. My, my prayer is this, is, is each of these things, it's practical things, um, after presenting these things, a lot of people say, Pastor, well, what's practical? What kind of practical, practical, practical? It's American philosophy again. And then studying scripture, boom, number one best way. But second way is think of ways to be socially strategic. Not, not, not calculating, but like you want to get with a certain agenda and like, hey, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. And if he goes into this, I don't want to talk about this. And you want to make sure that you don't get lost in, in some of the, the, the passion that may flow in talking with some of the atheists or agnostics or, or, or whatnot. But the ultimate goal in the end is to introduce this person to one person. Who is this person? It's the Lord, 
Jesus Christ. And so this requires a lot of prayer. And like the human inclination is, I want to win this argument. But that should not be your passion. Your passion is, I want to introduce this guy to Jesus. Even if it means I lose the argument, I want to show Jesus to this person. And that's the best argument ever, the character of Jesus Christ. Amen? Has this last presentation been, been at least a little bit uh, practical to, to implement? I hope uh, some things are good, some things are not, not good, but you use it in your own wisdom and uh, let me know how it works out. Any questions from, from today? Any questions? Questions? We went through a lot. We read a lot today. Amen? Mm-hmm. Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Anyone else? Well, these are some of the, the conclusions that we reaped. Uh, I'm involved in campus ministries, and there are many um, atheists on campus, probably a higher percentage of atheists on campus than in regular society. And uh, a lot of them uh, are, and a lot of pantheists and deists as well. And we found that, um, at least in the university, it's a highly uh, intelligence-pressured environment. You're, you're pressured to perform and to show off your intelligence. And what happens is intelligence tickles your pride, right? And just like, you know, you go into a boxing match and you see this ripped guy and he's like, just this final blow, and all these guys are like, that's awesome, in the university setting, you have all these people, and if they give the one argument that's so eloquent and it just pummels and it just bullies that person down to the ground, it just, it just riles up the carnal nature. Uh, we find that Jesus never got into those kind of arguments, even though his opponents tried to get him into those arguments. And we've got to safeguard ourselves, find out strategic ways to, like, Lord, I want to be Christ-like, but Lord, I don't want to back down. And I don't want to be stupid to show forth the kingdom of heaven as some unintellectual, just floppy, you know, teddy bear, hallmark kind of religion. We have the scriptures and all the evidence of revelation on our side. Amen? But we just got to be willing to be to, to step up to that plate. So my prayer is, I, and I hope that uh, as you leave this place and you engage with people of different worldviews, Let's use these Christ-like techniques and do not use the chart. Amen? Do not take it out of your back pocket and be like, according to this, you don't believe this. Uh, that is one way where you will not be happy. Amen? That's our word of prayer and we'll conclude for today. Gracious Father, we spent four hours in this topic of worldviews. Uh, Lord, uh, may I be as bold to request. Father, grant us experiences that we may use this to be more like Jesus as a result. And that at the end of it, may we not glorify uh, ourselves or our works or our thinking, our strategies or what we learned, but to really see how wonderful of God you are and how you work. Father, especially I uplift to you the, the souls that we have in our minds who may be entrapped in whatever ideology out there. And Lord, we present to you ourselves. Lord, use us to reach out to them. This is our humble prayer in Jesus' name.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.